One of the beauties of programming is that there's always something new to learn. And in this episode, we're going to talk about all the new and shiny technologies that we're all excited about. We're going to talk about Gatsby, augmented reality, WebAssembly, design, and some other older stuff that we're just really excited about, like CSS and Django. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. I'm Emma. And I'm Lindsay, and we're debugging the tech industry. So there's some new and cool things about CSS, and I know, Emma, you are a CSS wizard, so you want to get started about what you're excited about with CSS? I just am excited about CSS being a thing. I really just enjoy styling things. I think there's nothing more rewarding than taking a blank HTML page and turning it into something really beautiful. And there are so many cool things that you can do with CSS other than just slap floats on everything, right? So what what are the, some of the cool things we can do? We can use CSS variables to kind of reuse pieces of code throughout our, our style sheets and, and make sure that if, oh, I don't maybe I don't like this primary color, I wanna update it and have it propagate everywhere, CSS variables are really cool for that. You don't have to go updating a ton of hex codes or RGB values or whatnot. So that's one thing I really like. Animations is another. I love animating things. I've always looked up to Sarah Drasner as kind of like the mother of SVG animations because she's been so prevalent in this industry with animating things. Uh, she has a great course on, she has many great courses uh, if you want to go check those out on Front End Masters. But animations are really cool because we can do a lot of good things on them. It's not just to make things look nice, right? With animations, we can actually uh, prolong the amount of time that users are willing to wait for a process to finish loading or whatnot. We don't even need these cool animation libraries. You hear about GreenSock or other animation libraries. You don't need it, right? We can do these things with just plain CSS and keyframes. And one other hot thing that people are talking about that I have put off learning for no other reason than I'm just overwhelmed with all the things I have to learn, but Houdini, right? What is Houdini? I don't, I'm not an expert on it. I don't actually know much about it, but it seems to be just a collection of browser APIs that let you gain more access to your CSS engine in the browser. So this is something cool that people have been talking about. I want to learn more about it. What about y'all? Like, is there anything in CSS that you're pumped about? Yeah. So for me, one of the one of the things I've I've kind of noticed a trend towards is browser support seems to be picking up much more quickly now when things when cool new things are coming out. And as somebody who often has to, uh, I want to try out these new cool new things that are available. But in my space, I need to continue to support old browsers. So the faster these things come out, the better off I am. Yeah, I'm super excited about things that um, like CSS Grid and Subgrid. I finally started playing with CSS Grid, which isn't exactly new. Subgrid's more new, but CSS Grid, I finally started playing with it. And I'm so confused why I waited so long to play. It's so fun. And another thing I'm super excited about is uh, it looks like we're kind of, with all the new things coming out in CSS, it seems like we're going to be able soon to migrate off of using preprocessors um, like SAS or less. And that's super cool to me because, I mean, I like, I like all of them, but there's also nesting that I think is starting to come into it, which is super neat. So I'm excited about all of that just because sometimes when I build a new project, I don't want to have to set up all the NPM packages for setting up SAS compilers and all those things. To be honest, I'm really bad at figuring out all the things I want to do. I think I just use like node SAS or something. 
I could get more granular and I'd never do. So lazy dev. <laughs> One thing to your point about grid is that people who maybe aren't as versed in the world of CSS maybe don't know the fact that CSS Flexbox and grid are ingrained. You can use them in a lot of places. And if you have specific browser concerns, you can head over to caniuse.com to check that out. But People are always often confused about like the use cases for each. And I think if we could do a whole episode on positioning elements in the UI, right? But really quickly, um, for those who don't know, Flexbox and Grid are built into CSS. And Flexbox is used to lay things out across a one-dimensional axis. So let's say a good use case for that would be spacing elements evenly with a top navigation bar. How do you space elements evenly there? Versus CSS Grid is all about two-dimensional layouts. So we can think about the entire composite of a, a web layout. So you have your nav bar that spans the entire left side. You've got your main content area, maybe like a header across the top and a footer, right? That's two-dimensional layout. And that's where, where grid really shines. But the common misconception here is you can use them together, right? You don't need to pick and choose. You can certainly use Flexbox to do these two-dimensional layouts. It is a lot of div nesting, maybe not the most uh, efficient way to do things, but you don't need to pick and choose. They each have their use cases and you can use them together. Super exciting. I'm pumped about it. As somebody who was raised on bootstrap and learned bootstrap before I learned actual CSS. Well, like I knew the CSS fundamentals, but I didn't know how to use it. And so adding grid into the browser has been really great for me and it fits in the way I kind of think about things, especially fractional units. Those are totally a game changer for me. Well, we, we now, we don't have to rely on Bootstrap or ever, other heavy UI frameworks like uh, Zurb Foundation. And while these things are great, I heard a lot in within companies that I've worked in, oh, well, we use Bootstrap for the grid system. Well, you don't need to now, which is really great. You don't need the performance overhead of including this entire bundle for a UI framework when all you need is the grid, right? It's easy to make your own. And one other thing I'm really pumped about in CSS is specificity rules because we kind of take these things for granted. I hear a lot of people who are like, CSS is, is difficult and I don't understand how it works and I just put importance on everything. When in reality, specificity isn't that hard. We just kind of need to learn that it's a thing. I wrote a blog post on this. If you want to go check it out, it explains how you calculate these things. But the more specific your selectors are, the more point values they gain. And that's the style that's going to be applied. It's, it's really fun. And if you're into math, it's a really cool way to use your math skills with CSS. So that's what I'm excited about with CSS. Kelly, what are you excited about? I am really excited about GraphQL. It's been a major focus of my, my life for the past probably three to six months now. I spend a lot of time digging into like REST APIs. And especially in the Shopify space, when you're having to make a certain API call to, to grab product data, it could require two, three, four, five, six API calls. Whereas in GraphQL, it is one single call. In the flow of GraphQL, it's like, it's, it's so much easier to understand. And once you start digging into doing things with mutations, it's just, there's so much you can do with it. And I swear like every single time I start to work on a project that involves GraphQL, I'm learning something new. I absolutely love it. Can you give us a, like, uh, explain it like I'm five definition of GraphQL and why I would use it? That's a really good question. I cannot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. GraphQL is kind of interesting because uh, it's built into a lot of ecosystems, but, and when I say ecosystems, I mean frameworks, words, but I think that the fun thing about GraphQL is the beautiful way that it's transforming like headless CMSs and stuff like that, making it super flexible. But I admittedly, whenever I play with GraphQL, I am very much the, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying things and sometimes they work. 
It kind of eludes me too. Yeah. It's like, I think one of the benefits is you can query for exactly the data you need and you don't get back all this other crap that you didn't ask for. I think that's one of the good things. I think also the graphical URL where you can actually go play with these things in the browser is really useful. Although admittedly, again, I don't fully understand it. And so what I use it for specifically is is in tandem with Gatsby, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But Ali, what were you going to say? So I have been using GraphQL on and off since the, the really early days of it. So I can kind of say that it takes away a lot of the detail that you need in order to build a REST API. So normally you have these RESTful routes and you have to build different ones if you want different data. You have to secure different types of data as well. Whereas GraphQL allows you to do that more on the client side rather than when you're architecting your API. And so it just changes the way that APIs are written. So it's definitely grown a huge amount in the last couple of years too. I remember it being like incredibly buggy and dealing with so many difficult things, especially because I was using Python on the back end for it and really, really tricky. So it's making made huge strides just in the last couple of years. And I agree that working with it in Gatsby has been really great as well. One of the things that I use it for specifically with Gatsby is I built my own blogging site. And as such, I've got all these markdown files that I want to then query and dynamically populate a blog on my personal site. And that's, it's been very useful for those instances. But admittedly, yeah, I, I, I still feel like a beginner every time I have to go in, like set these things up again. And I think a lot of us are super pumped about Gatsby. Uh, and so who wants to start? I think we're all excited. So Lindsay, do you want to start talking about it? Sure. So Gatsby, I built my blog in it. I basically, Ali recommended it to me and I'm like, this is cool. And then <laughs> rest is history. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that it gave me a little bit of an intro to React. I think the beautiful thing about Gatsby is it takes away a lot of the um, anxieties of server-side rendering because one of the major setbacks with using React is that, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but because we're not rendering things server-side and we're rendering them client-side, it, it can sometimes have implications for SEO and stuff like that. But because Gatsby, when it on upon Gatsby builds, it generates all of these static pages, you end up having that that problem ends up going away, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And yeah, with GraphQL too, with that, you can create your own fields. Something I personally want to play with is building out WordPress sites for the content and then having Gatsby be rendering the front end, just because I think in the long run, that's really where things are going is we have our headless CMSs and then we're going to have our static site generators. Some people don't like the fact that it has to rebuild everything when you update content. So it's not as automatic, but I've definitely been really having a desire to play with that. I just haven't gotten a chance to. I think really quickly for those who don't know what Gatsby is, uh, they define themselves as like a blazing fast static site generator for React. And and there are others in the industry who do this for other frameworks. I believe Nuxt is one for Vue. It's a Nuxt, Nuxt. I don't even know. They all have the same name. Yeah, so Nuxt is for, for Vue. And, and Gatsby is super fast. It's easily configurable. The documentation's great. It's open source. The team is fantastic. And I think that's why so many of us are, are really excited about it. That and the fact that you can integrate with like CMS and, and you can access your markdown and your data very, very easily. And one additional thing to note, Lindsay uh, keeps on name dropping headless, 
which is definitely a, a newer concept that's definitely gaining traction now. To kind of explain what the, the, the headless component is, I'm doing air quotes here, is basically separating out your infrastructure so you're not using the same thing for the front end and the back end. It gives you the opportunity to use whatever tools that you need to do to come up with the product that you, you need to create in the end. So I'm personally, because I'm in the Shopify space, I'm doing a lot more with headless commerce. Yeah. Yeah, headless is something that I was noticing in the Drupal space. People didn't really want to do, or a lot of the times people didn't want to do Drupal as the front end anymore. And so in Drupal 8, like they created their own REST APIs. And then I have no idea. I haven't been in the space for about six months, so I don't know what's come about since then. But it was definitely a big push. And I'm very curious to see how these other CMS frameworks evolve. I know WordPress has got created APIs for all of their posts, which is super cool because that makes it a lot easier to use these frameworks to start getting those pieces of content. And because the nice thing about those CMSs is that they have the content editor experience. So it's really cool for us with Gatsby because we all are developers. So we know Markdown pretty well, but give your non-technical client a code editor and they're like, what do I do with this? So the that's a really cool thing about Headless to me is that that flexibility of having a non-technical client and being able to just give them a very modern and fast front end, but they still get that user experience of the the content, the like WYSIWYG, which stands for what you see is what you get, which is basically a text editor with a bunch of little like bold and alignments and all that stuff, like a Word document. So they're very familiar with it. And this is a space I was in for a long time. So that's why I'm very excited about it. That's really cool. I didn't know much about Headless. So it was it was really cool that you guys defined it. Allie, what were you going to say? Yeah, so I think that there are two main reasons why I'm excited about Gatsby. The first is the plugins. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of common functionality that you'll have from application to application, and that's already built in. And you can just do NPM install this instead of rewriting it yourself like you may have to for some other applications. So that's really cool. There's a lot of awesome ones out there, such as ones for image processing and for plugging in markdown documents and to even connect to Instagram, which is something that I did this weekend. So that's one really cool part of it. The other part is that it really optimizes for performance right out of the box. So when we talk about blazingly fast, that's what we're talking about. Not that it builds super fast, which it does for the most part, but that it actually builds an end site that's really fast and follows a bunch of best practices for that. So you can build a progressive web app for one example, really simply with Gatsby, which is something that can be more difficult using other technologies. What a progressive web app is, is it's an application that you can download and save on your phone or on your desktop and access it that way instead of always going to your browser. And it also makes it so that some content can be available offline. So even if the user isn't connected to the internet, they can still browse parts of your site. So that's really, really cool that Gatsby has that. There's other awesome performance things built in too. Like if you've heard of WebP images that are more performant but only work in certain browsers, there are plugins that you can use that will automatically sense the browser and whether you can use that or which 
image sizes to use and to lazy load images, all those things. And so if you've used Google Lighthouse testing, which is how a really great way to test the performance of your site, specifically so that your site ranks well on Google, Gatsby sites are optimized to do really, really well on those out the gates. You can get hundreds on your Lighthouse score without even doing too much work yourself. That's really cool. One other thing that I want to mention too is that they make it really easy to get started. They've got, <laughs> get started. They have Gatsby starters, which are really cool. So like if I just want to do a blog, uh, I want to create a blog, they've got a Gatsby starter for that. They've also got these new things that are coming out. Uh, it's not templates. It's, um, what's the other thing that they're doing? Gatsby themes. Themes. Yeah. And so on the 8th of July, J Jason Langensdorf and I did a live stream where I learned to code a theme from scratch. So if you if you want to learn more about that, go check that out. But apparently what's really cool about this is that similar to a starter, it provides you, you know, functionality. So you don't have to like rewrite all of these things, but it maintains a link back to like the upstream theme in general. So as updates are published, I believe that you can, you know, maintain this relationship back to upstream versus like starters is like you, you use the starter and then it's done. Like there's no connection back up. I believe that's a difference, but again, not positive. That seems like that's something really cool. And, what, and they, you know, held a competition for the community to contribute their themes that they wanted to develop. And they're very active in the community. I think that's why, one of the reasons why people love them so much is if you get stuck, they're very active in helping you. And then um, it's open source. You can go contribute. But I want to switch gears. Let's talk about something that's maybe not super React or front-end focused. Ali, you are really involved in back-end development and, and other things like augmented reality. What are you excited about? Yeah, so one thing that I wanted to talk about is Django. So Django's not new whatsoever, but it's a Python web framework, and it has a lot built in out of the gate for you, such as authentication, and there are great libraries for building APIs really quickly, and it's still, all these years later, my favorite framework for building web applications, just because it makes it very simple, but it's not overboard. It doesn't have a lot of magic involved like some other frameworks. So I think for me, I just wanted to mention that because on my Twitter, at least I see almost all JavaScript stuff and CSS and people really excited about front end stuff. And I don't necessarily see as much about Python. And so I wanted to do a quick shout out to that community and say that Django is really incredible and put that in front of people's eyes if they haven't seen that already. One thing I actually think is super neat about Python, and this is also coming from somebody who doesn't write Python, but even just like looking at Python code, it's very, very, like it almost looks like pseudocode, which I think is super friendly for beginners because it's very readable. There's not a lot of syntax gotchas like there are in JavaScript. So I, I think it's such a great language, especially if you're interested in backend to get started with. And from what it sounds like, Django, I always say it wrong. Um, did, Wait, J how do I say it? The D, the D is silent. Oh, okay. Uh, Django, like the thing that's really cool about it is it seems like when with frameworks, it's actually like something that helps people start to learn about it too, because it's a little bit more approachable. Yeah, agreed. I would highly recommend the Django Girls tutorial. And if they have a meetup in your city to check that out too, it's, it's really great. And then on top of that, I think Python in general is a great language because you can use it for so much. So the data science ecosystem in Python, which is kind of actually where I started in my career, and we can talk more about that at some other point, but 
the ecosystem for that within Python is just absolutely incredible. It's a great language for the reason that you can do a lot of different things with it, not just web development, but also outside of that. So I used to work at the IBM Quantum team and the IBM Q website and the network and whatnot. And we had Jupyter notebooks that people could actually run their quantum code on, like the CASM, the Kiskit, I don't know, all of these acronyms, right? But you could actually run code from a Jupyter notebook on a quantum computer. And like, you can't do this with other languages. I mean, Python is so robust and we kind of take it for granted. And at first glance, it, it might seem easy, right? Because like Lindsay said, it's, it looks very beginner friendly or very pseudocode-ish. But that can also pose problems too, right? Like I, I think I spent like a lot of time, I used to do uh, WebSphere test automation in Python. And uh, I remember like I, I got an indentation or something wrong with a loop and like, it just took me forever to debug it. Uh, I was also kind of a beginner. But we shouldn't look at this and be like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't look as robust as maybe like a JavaScript or a Java. Uh, and as such, it's not as powerful. It's like, no, you can do some pretty cool stuff with this. Fun fact, Jupyter actually has different notebooks for different languages now. It's a great tool for teaching. Oh, cool. I really appreciate Jupyter notebooks. That's awesome. Should we switch gears and talk about the complete opposite from the back end, which is design? Because as developers, we kind of take this stuff for granted, I think, a little bit, right? I don't know. How how much design knowledge do you three have? <laughs> mine is... I So mine's super elementary. To be quite frank, the best thing I did for my blog was hire a designer to help me design my logo and get my color scheme. And... Yeah, so I very elementary. I've gotten a little bit better at knowing things like white space and spacing and overall layout and stuff, but I'm definitely more minimalist. Um, when I try to do a lot of things with my personal designs, it ends up looking like crap. <laughs> but I've gotten a lot of help from tips like, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. What's that book that just came out? Refactoring UI? Yes, that one. That's a great book. <laughs> yeah, so like even just the tips that were coming out before then in the blog posts, I was using a lot of those to add little pieces of polish to my site. But I think something that that's I've actually been learning is that a lot of design principles are not necessarily about going all over with the trends, but going with things that are tried and true and not trying to hack the system and trying to be overly fancy. Even with things like circling back to animations, one of my friends here in DC, Alexis, she taught me that animations should actually be used to add very subtle things. Like you shouldn't even notice them. And stuff like that, just learning about those things have helped me conceptualize design because I always was super scared of it and thinking it was this uh, super big deal thing. And while it's very difficult to design, there's a lot of concepts that, that are very, very centralized. I, well, I think a lot of this is rooted in psychology. I know, Kelly, you have some roots in psychology as well. Um, but when we think about design, we often can make assumptions that designers aren't as smart as engineer. Subconsciously, we have these biases, right? And I think that's so backwards because when you start looking into things like color theory, the color wheel, for example, this is something I'm really excited about. We've got different color palettes. Uh, how do you generate a color palette that doesn't look like crap? There are different methods, right? When we look at this color wheel, we've got things like analogous colors, which are three colors, for example, who are side by side on a, on a 12 part color wheel. But then we've got things like complementary color schemes, which are colors that are directly opposite. So learning about the psychology 
biology of how colors work together. We've also got like type scale and how we use math to kind of differentiate architecture in the UI. Uh, we've got things like the golden ratio and the perfect fourth and whatnot. These things are a lot more technical than we give them credit for. And a lot of them, again, are rooted in psychology. Like um, Kelly, I'm not sure if you know about the heuristics. Like you, when we think about UX design versus visual design. So everything I just talked about was based in visual design, right? When we talk about UX design, it's all about the psychology of how people use and navigate our products. And we've got these things called heuristics of, okay, well, all the information should be readily available and accessible in the UI, or don't give the users too many options to choose from. It's going to confuse the heck out of them. Little things like this. Are you familiar with UX heuristics or like, what's your take on this? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I spend more time on the UX side than the UI side more than anything. So, you know, I have uh, a couple of designers on our team who, who take the reins on coming up with the actual store design for our clients. But I often will jump back in when it comes on the UX side. As Lindsay said, the goal here is not to reinvent the wheel and try all the newest trends and see what's going to work. The, when, you're, when you're building a product, the end goal is somebody needs to use it and you are trying to make money from it. You're not trying to get as creative as possible. You're trying to do what you know works. And that so falls under the user experience side of things. The button placement, the microcopy on the buttons, how much content you can see above the fold, whether you're using a mobile device or you're on desktop, and, and just the way that your customers will actually navigate the websites and use your product. All of this is so important. It lies very, very deeply in design. Something I came across recently is I love that I usually use on my uh, phone. I was on it on the desktop and the sign out button was on the bottom left corner, which is the exact opposite place. And I remember being a little frustrated by that, which I'm a developer. So like I try to give some slack, but it's just one of those things. It's like, just put it where I expect it to be. And it's not revolutionary or anything. It's just a literal placement. I have so much I can say on this topic and very, very quick tangent here for people who are designing the sign up form, your navigation. I know it's really important to get people to sign up, but please do not hide the login button. Yeah. I've heard on so many websites, I'm having to hunt down where I just sign into their website because I'm already a customer. I think the really interesting topic is that a lot of UX design isn't dealing with interfaces or how things look, but it's just doing user research. Like how do users actually use this site? Taking surveys from them, what do they want? And looking at that research and then implementing it into the design. So for me personally, I have worked for mostly startups. And so as a result, you end up wearing a lot of hats and some of that includes design from time to time. But what I've really learned about myself is that I enjoy doing design for my own personal sites because I know my aesthetic and can work really well within that. But I, I professionally don't love doing design for other people's site because their design or their aesthetic is very different than mine. And I'm not as good as that because I'm not a trained designer. I'm just somebody who does it for fun. So I think people see my stuff and are like, oh, you know, she's really into design and can do all this. And it's like, yeah, I can do it for myself. I know what I like, but not for other people necessarily. I, I do want to drop a, a resource real fast here. As you were talking about with doing uh, user experience research, uh, a really useful tool is called Hotjar. 
Uh, it, you can sign up for a free account and you can do heat mapping so you can see what people are clicking on on your website. Are they clicking on the things that they should be clicking on? Are they missing what they should be seeing? You can see how far they're scrolling down onto a page and you can also even record their session so you can watch them navigate through your website and find the holes that you need to be filling. That's super cool. Didn't even know about that. No, I didn't either. Um, so kind of going along these same lines, Lindsay, I vaguely remember you talking about Figma and being excited about that. How does that kind of tie in with design? So I think the reason why I like Figma is because I'm not a designer and I don't really know how to use most of these tools. And I think one of the biggest things, like Sketch is super popular, but the thing that I like about Figma is you to get started, you can just get started for free. So Figma doesn't require you to put your credit card down. And as somebody who is not very design minded, it's a little bit more anxiety inducing to put my credit card down on something. And I'm not sure if it's going to work well for me, especially since I'm more of a developer mindset. So Figma, I think is a really good tool to get started with, especially I think I'm going to actually end up paying for it because I like it, but getting started with it for free was super helpful. Let's quickly uh, take a step back, though, because let's define it real quick. Well, not define it, but like let's explain what it is. And really, really, really quick intro to design tools. We've got Sketch, which Lindsay mentioned. It's a very cool tool for prototyping, creating UI designs and whatnot. It is Mac-specific, which is a barrier to entry because you cannot use it on Windows. And it is very expensive. Uh, we're talking like several hundred dollars for your subscription. $100 a year, yeah. Which, it, you know, it can be a lot, especially if you're a freelancer or whatnot. Figma is uh, browser-based as far as I know. I don't I don't know if they have an app you can download, but you can, at that point, you can use it cross-operating system. And yeah, it's free. It's pretty simple to use too, I think. They do have, uh, they do have desktop apps, at least for Mac, um, which I'm on. But yeah, I didn't even really play with that until I knew for sure that I was going to continue using it. So yeah, you can totally use it in your browser. And the thing I like about it is I'm primarily using uh, Figma for graphics. Like for example, for my blog, I um, design the Twitter cards or whatever. So designing those to the specification, they already have a lot of social media templates in the sense of the size of the frame. And they, I, I'm sure they do a lot of the similar things that, that Sketch does. So like uh, centering, fonts, all of the things that you would expect. But for me, it's just super, because I, I need a design tool for very simple things like uh, just social media sharing. And so like for me, it's super helpful to have because creating graphics, I was creating them in Canva before and they weren't quite as polished as I'd want them to be. And now it's actually pretty, pretty nice. I'm really happy with most of my graphics. Yeah, that's nice. So, Allie, what's one more thing that maybe you're, like, super pumped about? Something I'm trying to learn right now is WebAssembly. So, WebAssembly is a technology that is being developed that will allow you to use programming languages that are not JavaScript in the browser. So... I am excited about this for two reasons. First, I think that having diversity in the languages that you can use is really important and will lead to some revolutions on that front. Especially, I, 
built my career on JavaScript to some extent at this point and love that language, but I think that allowing other ones to flourish is really important as well. Then my second thing with it is that it's highly, highly performant. So you can write browser code in C or in Rust, which are two languages that are way more performant than JavaScript. And the cool thing that about that is that if you're doing something really cool like art, with code, that can take up a lot of your processing power. And so doing it in a more performant language is gonna be really, really beneficial there. And doing art with code and generative art is one of my personal passions. And so if WebAssembly allows me to do that in a way that's more sustainable, that's really exciting to me. So something that I'm trying to learn, definitely Rust and C have really high learning curves and I'm trying to go back to my college stuff to refresh myself on some C stuff, but it's a definitely a really cool forefront for web development, I think. I think Lynn Clark is super into WebAssembly too. She's someone that's on a lot of podcasts that I've heard talk openly about WebAssembly. So um, if y'all want to learn more about that, I would recommend checking her talks out for sure. On a completely other note, I am also just really excited about where we're going with augmented reality. I think there are so many, so many opportunities for using it in so many different situations. Of course, in my e-commerce space, being able to use your phone to view what a product looks like and see it physically right in front of you, like on your desk. I just think that's the coolest thing. And it shows you like the proper dimensions is to scale and just the, the technology behind this and the, the way we're moving forward with 3D modeling and being able to do these kinds of things is just, it's, it, it blows my mind. Yeah, there are a couple companies already doing that too. So Ikea has something where you can try furniture in your room and then some makeup companies have it where you can try on makeup before purchasing so you know what things look like on your skin tone so one of my big conference talks and I'm kind of traveling around the world to talk about this year is augmented reality in javascript I recreated snapchat's filters in 47 lines of javascript and you can run it in your browser and that's so cool to me that you don't need to learn another language to do it you can just do it with these web languages that you're already doing and there are libraries are Already built into JavaScript that are making this way more accessible and it's not incredibly hard to do this so I'm really excited about it too. That's super cool oh my gosh. I mean Ikea already takes all my money I spend it all there like on their meatballs and hot dogs and furniture so now <laughs> sorry Kai. I just love that you prioritize <laughs> meatballs over furniture. Well I have my priorities in line. But no, I think augmented reality is really cool. When I was working at IBM for one of the South by Southwest events a couple of years ago, there was uh, an installation that I worked on around augmented reality, but it was for the elderly. So they were living in um, assisted living. It let them maintain their sense of independence by not living in like a really assisted living home. Like they were still independent, but what was cool about the augmented reality was allowed their loved ones to kind of check in on them and make sure that like, hey, they didn't leave the stove on or like, hey, they forgot to take their medicine, things like this that I mean that's life-changing right and also going back to the Ikea thing that's what I was going to suggest is like I want to try out this $1,200 couch in my apartment to make sure it looks good and it fits before I go and invest in it so that's super cool they're also doing some cool stuff for people with disabilities with augmented reality as well I'm not an expert on this whatsoever but apparently people with some certain vision impairments if they have images flipped so that they're different colors and maybe they're black and white instead of in full color, then they're able to 
see the scene better. And so there's augmented reality apps that will allow people to visualize scenes in different ways too, which I think is really cool. And then there's the artistic realm as well, which is also very cool. So I never had any, uh, like I, now I kind of want to play with it. I'm like, okay, another list thing on my list. Cause I, I honestly have been hearing a lot about it, but haven't put it on my like to learn list. And I've definitely been convinced just from talking here. It's super yeah. cool. That's awesome. And speaking of really cool things, we want to give a shout out to Monica because she got a job as a data scientist for AFSCME. I can't. I don't know what that stands for, but it is the largest union servicing public sector. And she's been in the private sector for a while, and she's super excited to do more fulfilling work. So congrats to you, Monica. What a big win. If you want your win featured on one of our podcast episodes, please submit it to us. We sent out a newsletter where you can go and, and learn more about that. But give us your wins. We want to shout out to you. Yeah, so as of the time this is released. I will be speaking at two different conferences within a week and a half span. So I'm going to be at OSCON in Portland and then Codeland in New York. And I'm super excited about both of those. Codeland is the one run by free, no, Code Newbies. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Kelly, what's your one? Yeah, so something I've been working on for the past year has finally happened. Uh, my agency, the Tap Room, is officially a Shopify Plus agency partner. There are 78 solutions partners in the United States, and I think there are now three of us in the Southeast, and we are the only one in Atlanta, which means we get to, uh, Shopify recognizes that we do awesome work and will be recommended to the more enterprise-level clients. So very excited. Congratulations, Kelly. Thank you. Lindsay, what's your win? <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, this is more of a personal win or more just something I'm really excited about. So at the time of this recording, my fiance and I have uh, taken our engagement photos, which is really, really cool. And also we were not, we were thinking about not doing it just to save money, but neither of us are very good at taking pictures of us as a couple. And I'm really excited to have a bunch of pictures of us um, to celebrate that. the future. And that's not something you'll regret. Yeah. Where are you taking them? We're taking them in my hometown, actually, which is a very cute, um, old school downtown area. So like kind of got a lot of independent businesses, a lot of brick. It's super, super cute. And I'm really excited about it. So Mm -hmm. it's more personal versus uh, tech or career, but I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. Emma, you also have a personal win. Yeah, I got married. <laughs> so I've been married. I've been married before. No, <laughs> we got married last year. Right? We had our legal wedding. And at the time, this is a release. Uh, yeah, our big wedding that we've been planning for a year and a half will have been celebrated. And my family's flying over from the U.S. And um, we're having it in the Alps in Bavaria, an hour south of Munich. And I'm super excited. That is so cool. Congratulations, Emma. Awesome. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please go ahead and tweet about it. Each week we'll select one person who tweets about the episode to win Ladybug stickers and they're super, super cute. So tweet about us. And while you're there, while you're online, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast so that you're notified about each new episode. We'll be releasing every Monday morning. And if you loved it, like it, And also leave us a comment because we love reading your feedback. Thanks.